This is Lisa Miller and Associates, Florida Insurance Roundup, your podcast on the people, issues, and regulations shaping Florida's insurance market. Now, here's Lisa Miller. Welcome, friends. The Florida legislature in December passed a comprehensive package of reforms designed to help save the state's rapidly deteriorating property insurance market with the aim of restoring a vibrant and competitive market, which is what is good for consumers. The reforms have been called absolutely historic and the biggest and meatiest uh, changes with the expectation that they will bring back needed capital and investments into the Florida insurance marketplace, which we've seen six insurance companies go and solve it in 2022. And a seventh one is in a what is called a regulatory policy runoff situation. So what exactly do these reforms do to help the quagmire of excessive insurance litigation, inflated claims, a lack of reinsurance, and an explosive residual market that competes with the private market? And will our escalating insurance rates be reduced for homeowners as a result? Will there be more consumer choice? That is what the aim of this bill is. And we'll hear from our guest today. We've got a great powerhouse, a trio, who have spent the better part of their lives working, regulating, and consulting the marketplace. Joining us today in our Florida Insurance Roundup session are Barry Gilway, who has served as Citizens President, CEO, and Executive Director since June of 2012. Barry is an accomplished insurance executive with 46-plus years background in insurance, but even more impressive, he's been the single strongest voice of reason and common sense in the legislative and regulatory arena to restore this vibrant and competitive marketplace that we badly need. And he recently announced his retirement from Citizens, but will stay on as a consultant, so we'll have access to him. He has been an ardent supporter of Lisa Miller and Associates and the work that we do, and he is always a phone call away and very accessible. Barry, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Lisa. Appreciate being here. Also joining us is Adam Schwaback who for almost 20 years has mastered the reinsurance marketplace and helped dozens of primary insurance companies as a reinsurance broker and subject matter expert. He's the executive vice president of Gallagher Re and the lead broker for Citizens Property Insurance, among other Florida insurance companies. Thanks for joining us, Adam. Thanks, Lisa. I'm excited to be here. Great. And last but certainly not least is Andy McGuire. He's got 27 years of experience in the insurance business, including the Florida insurance market. And Andy is the co-CEO of Peak Six, an insurtech and capital management firm, including an insurance agency chain with over 150 offices throughout Florida, representing over 100,000 policy holders. Andy, thanks for joining us today. Happy to be here, Lisa. Great. So I wanted to kind of get started. You know, we had this bill that passed Senate Bill 2A signed by the governor on December 16th, and it's about, oh, 100 some odd pages And in it were several major reforms that, as Barry Gilway called, historic. In fact, Barry, you were quoted as saying, quote, this bill is absolutely historic. It will draw capital back into the Florida marketplace. It won't happen overnight, but it will happen a lot sooner than people think. And it'll give the reinsurance community far more confidence in their ability to place the limited capacity they have back in the market. And I think you've pointed out repeatedly that this is really good for consumers. Why do you think that, Barry? 
Well, Lisa, I think this is historic because we have been working towards this um, legislation for well over five years. So the consumer, is pay- they're paying ridiculous rates in, in Florida, three times the national average. Now, why is that? Well, they're paying ridiculous rates because the rates are increasing every single year to keep up with the litigation rate. So as litigation grows, the rates have to increase to stay ahead of the litigation rate. And what this, what this legislation does finally is it repeals the one-way attorney fee statute. And as you know, that has been the primary issue, you know, in the, in the overall marketplace. And it's put seven companies out of business in the last year and 10 in the last two years. And, of course, this legislation finally repeals AOB, Assignment of Benefits. And 47% of all citizens' litigation and 35% of the industry litigation results from Assignment of Benefits. So you can just imagine those two primary issues alone as a result of this um, legislation repealing the one-way attorney fee statute 67428 and eliminating AOB, repealing AOB, that alone for the industry, uh, will I think it will have a profound impact. The issue, of course, is that it doesn't impact Ian, it doesn't impact Nicole, it doesn't impact Michael, and doesn't impact Irma, and we're still getting litigation from Irma. But it does impact the uh, marketplace going forward. As I've mentioned to you, Lisa, many times, this will draw capital into the marketplace. The bottom line is more and more calls every single day from investors saying, how do I get in? Because on a going forward basis, if I can leave the development of losses behind and I can charge rates that, that are based upon historic litigation rates, when the litigation rate is going to drop like a rock, then it's time for me to enter this marketplace. Now, there's still impediments uh, along the way, but I will tell you, this is historic legislation. It's going to have a huge impact uh, on this marketplace going forward. It's interesting you you say that because CFO Pertonis said, quote, there's a reset button with this legislation that's going to take place. Andy, you know, you are leading a risk-bearing entity, Peak 6, and you have been in this market a long time, and you hear Barry talk about why this legislation is so important. How does it affect you as an investor, as someone that has capital in this market? What's your perspective? Do you think it is as historic and helpful as Barry said? I do. So I'm really excited about and really proud of all the work that everyone's done to push this legislation through. From a from an investor perspective, I'm still a little worried Right. If, if this had been done a year ago where interest rates were significantly lower, this would have unlocked tremendous value in Florida almost immediately. Right. But with the cost of capital where it is right now, I'm still a little bit on the fence to see how things kind of wash through, especially on the reinsurance side, because um, we are seeing and, and Adam, I'm sure we'll speak to this later. We are we are hearing on on the one one programs, significant rate increases as well. Uh, from a distribution standpoint, right? So we've got 100,000 policyholders and 150 agents in the state of Florida that do business with us. Um, 
I'm really excited for for the agents and for the consumers. Right, this is this is going to unlock the opportunity for rates to be able to come down over time. It's also going to decrease the dependency of all of our agents on citizens, right? And really unlock consumer choice. That's really from from our we're hearing it from our agents, right? So we're getting yelled at that we have fewer and fewer markets available. This will bring more markets uh, into Florida for sure, and really help our agents um, and consumers just being able to be able to choose different alternatives to just citizens. That's going to be really powerful for the consumer. That's good to hear, Andy. I know Speaker Renner, uh, Speaker Paul Renner, uh, Speaker of the House, for a lot of the listeners that don't follow all the legislative players, he said, I'm not suggesting that there won't still be companies that go out of business after this bill, because again, there's nothing that anyone could do to change what's happened in the past and what's coming next year, early next year, meaning 2023, is in large part for the companies that are here, a function of what's happened in the past that's beyond our control. So you hear Andy saying he's kind of still on the fence, Um, Adam, you know, do reinsurers believe that a lot of this has happened in the past and that it is beyond our control? Or does this bill put us back in control? So I think broadly, the reinsured, the reinsurance community is very happy to see this bill passed uh, with all of the provisions that are within it. And broadly, the reinsurance market thinks that this was a tremendous bill, uh, to your point, you know, in what Barry said earlier, like this, there were there were components of this bill that I don't think reinsurers would have ever expected to actually see get passed. Um, you know, the, the one way attorney fee statute like that. That I think was a, a provision that most people thought would never change within the state of Florida. So that's broadly extremely positive. Um, I think for reinsurers, there needs to be some proof though now. And you know, they I've I've heard from several of them saying, you know, we've heard for years now that things were about to change. Legislation was put into place that was going to significantly improve the results of of companies in Florida and and the overall results that reinsurers were seeing in being passed through in the in the claims for. Uh, hurricanes, but we haven't actually seen those results come to fruition. So there there needs to be a period right now of kind of proving out the results before reinsurers really get on board. Now, there's there's two components, though, where I think reinsurers can provide support. One is just simply price, which we're, which we're talking about here, right? So will reinsurance prices come down immediately? I don't think so. I think that this is going to be something where, you know, reinsurers will need to see proof before prices change dramatically. But the other component to that is reinsurance capacity. Um, will reinsurers be more willing to commit capacity to the Florida market as a result of this? And I think that there is a strong probability that we'll see companies that were on the fence saying, you know, is it the right time to write reinsurance risk in Florida or isn't it? Um, this could be kind of what pushes them forward to say, okay, you know, we think that in the long run, these these uh, legislative changes will have a positive benefit. We're willing to commit more capacity to the state of Florida as a result. And when you say we're willing to commit more capacity, recognizing that the several thousand folks that listen to this podcast, not all are insurance experts like my very distinguished guest, what does that mean uh, for consumers? Barry, I'm going to kick it back over to you. When, some, when, when somebody commits capacity, when, when someone says, I'm going to open a new company, when, when some investor says, I want to put money, what, what does that mean and how long will it take to be meaningful, in your opinion, 
to see that meaningful change that we need to see? What are your thoughts? The way I describe um, the overall market, uh, Lisa, is that we have two issues. One, we have a long-term issue. And the long-term issue clearly was one-way attorney fee statutes, AOB, out-of-control litigation. The second one is more um, uh, systematic of what Adam was referring to. And that is, if you take a look at the the private marketplace, um, they've lost a billion dollars through the third quarter. And if you take a look back two years, they've lost a billion dollars each year. Now, that's significant because they only have $3.6 billion in surplus supporting that entire market. So when individuals in the Senate and the House were saying, well, we need to see rates decrease in the marketplace, the first thing that has to happen in order to generate competition is for these private companies to be in a position where they can make a reasonable return on investment. They're not doing that today. Ergo, it's going to take some time. It's going to take 12, in my opinion, 18 months before the impact of, of what we're seeing here from a legislative standpoint that really hits the bottom line. And, and as Adam um, stated, you know, the, the reinsurers are saying, show me the proof that the impact of this legislation is really going to, uh, you know, put the private companies in, in, <clears throat> in a much better financial position. Today, they're not in good financial position. However, why I say it adds more capacity is because new companies are not stuck with the historic um, development on losses, and they're coming in and they're able to charge rates that are actuarially sound. So uh, Adam is saying, seeing the same thing that we are seeing as citizens, and we're getting calls you know, from investors saying, hey, is, an, is now the time to come in and provide capacity in this overall marketplace? And of course, our attitude is, Yes, you know, I, and I, I, w- I would expect a significant uh, depopulation of citizens, um, attempted depopulation, you know, in the November, December uh, 23 uh, time frame. I think that's probably when we're going to see the biggest impact of more capacity entering the market. But it's unlikely they would do it before that, simply they're not going to come in before the storm season. That makes great sense, and that's great news, Barry. So, Andy, I want to kick it over to you. This particular bill has a lot of changes to the way companies can respond to claims. And often, and we know this, when claims occur, oftentimes the first call that a policyholder will make will be to their insurance agent. I mean, you've shared that with me, and I've been in insurance agent's offices when those calls have come in. And A big portion of this bill changes the way claims are handled. So when I talk about the consumer protections of this bill, changing it from, you know, 90 days to 60 days that insurance companies have to pay or deny a claim unless regulators will give them more time, you know, reducing from 14 days to seven days that a carrier has to review and acknowledge a claim. Those types of reductions in claims response time, do your agents see that as a good thing? Do they think the companies can meet those standards? Um, what was your reaction from your field of, of agents that have been doing this a long time, Andy? So so that's a great question, Lisa. So my, my personal reaction to reading those standards was, okay, that's going to increase some cost, right? Because if you're going to increase standards like that, you're going to need more bodies. And that's okay, because coming from Ian 
and and Nicole, one of the observations I've had, so I've run national uh, P&Ls for insurance companies. I started in claims, but one of the things that, that I've really come to notice in Florida specifically prior to this bill is with AOB and one-way attorney's fees and kind of everything that's been wrapped up in that, it's almost made the experience of a claim adversarial because companies are trying to get to the customer so fast to make sure that they don't seek out an attorney, that they don't sign an AOB. It's not the, hasn't been the best customer experience. And I understand it. I mean, I'd be doing the exact same thing if I was on the carrier side. So I'm actually hopeful that these regulations combined with the elimination of AOB and one-way attorney's fees, that we can actually create a better consumer experience through insurance and get away from any sort of trying to combat fraud and at the point of sale or, or at the point of claim and create a much better customer experience. So our agents are actually really hopeful that things change for the better across the policy acquisition through claim experience. Many of the agents that I've spoken to have said that they tire of what they call claims litigation when it should be claims negotiation or claims collaboration. And Adam, in your experience, I know the reinsurers closely watch claim filing practices, closely watch claims payment practices. Do you believe the reinsurers think that it's going to restore what I'll call a healthy claims environment where it's not, you know, claims are not reported by a lawyer at first notice of loss that will get back to the point where there can be a claims negotiation versus immediate claims litigation. Is that something you believe the reinsurers think is going to be restored? Yeah, I, th- I think everything you know within this bill is moving in that direction towards a more positive claims experience as well. Um, you know, we, we didn't touch on yet the the claims filing uh, deadline being shortened, right? From, sure. Uh, from three years down to one, which as, as a Florida resident, I just kind of scratched my head. Like, if you don't understand that you have a claim within a year, it's probably not a claim, right? Um, but I, I think from a reinsurer's perspective, what they what they really want, and I think this is the same that everybody should truly want, is that when there is a legitimate claim and a policyholder has had a loss, that the insurance carrier can go and adjust that claim fairly and provide an accurate amount of, of uh, funds to that policyholder to, to bring them back to whole. And you know, at the end of the day, that's what reinsurers are basing their reinsurance pricing on, right? They go through a tremendous amount of analysis to try to understand in a, in a hurricane scenario, um, what would be kind of the estimated loss down to the policy level. And when they're going back and reviewing that and seeing thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars of litigation fees being added on to you know, what was in some instances a very minor actual property loss, um, and they're being stuck with the bill for all of that, it, it throws their analysis out the window. So if we can get back to truly restoring the policyholders to the, the basic principles of indemnification, right, being made whole in a, in a hurricane and in a loss scenario, getting their lives back in order and back on track in a, in a quicker amount of time, and reinsurers can feel better about actually paying property losses as opposed to paying for uh, attorneys um, and, you know, all the fees that go along with that, that's going to be a tremendous benefit to their ability to support the insurance companies um, and the insurance marketplace in Florida. It's great to hear, Adam. I want to switch gears a minute and talk about Citizens, Barry. You know, we've talked about no more AOB, no more one-way attorney's fees, 
uh, in, improving the claims experience and getting back to normal, if I can use that term. Let's talk about what the bill did to restore citizens to what you've always said it should be, non-competitive, a market of last resort. I can only imagine the meetings that you had with the staff and leadership in the House and Senate pleading with them to restore what you took over 10 years ago when it was in bad shape, you got it in good shape, and now it's kind of slid back down again. I'm sure you're very proud of what has happened in this bill to restore this behemoth called citizens back to its original purpose. So tell us about it. Was it difficult to convince the legislature? And give us your perspective about the impact of what citizens' changes are going to be. Yeah, thank you, um, Lisa. So I think everyone knows the numbers. You know, we we really got citizens down to 414,000 policyholders. And frankly, that's probably where it should be. Uh, That compares with some of the other major residual markets in terms of overall market share, around 4%, you know, the market. Uh, And then, you know, literally starting in 2016, 17, 18, with the increase in overall litigation, the policy count just started to skyrocket. So we'll we'll end the year at uh, close to 1.2 million policyholders. So we'll be three times the size we were just two years ago. Um, And we fully expect this to continue to grow uh, somewhat in, in 2023. So what does this do for us? Well, to start with, citizens is ridiculously competitive. It, it's not the market of last resort. It has become the market of first resort. And although we have pr- problems relative to litigation, although we have companies going uh, insolvent and, and that business moving into citizens, there's a secondary issue. And the issue is, in some territories around the state, we're 50% below the market. So we're competing openly with the private market. That makes no sense whatsoever. It's not a residual market. So basically, we, had, we, we showed the senators, the representatives, the leadership, basically what we felt needed to happen. Now, ultimately, the language in the bill says that ultimately citizens' rates should be non-competitive. And we're moving, moving, moving back towards that 1996 legislation that Locke Burt passed, you know, that basically was the top 10 uh, legislation. That's consistent with what a residual market should be. But the question is, how quickly do you get there? You don't get there overnight because the impact on the overall market would be staggering. Some, some areas would require 50, 70 percent rate increases. So I, I think the legislators came up with what I believe is really good interim compromises for citizens. We implemented with a 20% rule across the board, which simply says that if you have a company that will quote you within 20% of the citizen's rate, you're not eligible to enter citizens. And I think ultimately that will have a huge impact. They took action on the primary, non-primary. So on a, on a non-primary residence, then basically you throw away the glide path, which means basically you go to actuarial sound rates on, on non-primary residences, you know, much, much quicker. And then, of course, they implemented the flood requirements that are going to get phased in over time, but that's going to reduce any lit, uh, litigation over time for citizens' policy uh, relative to the issue of wind versus search. 
So I think the legislation really does a good job, an interim job, of getting us on a step-by-step basis back to the point where we are really operating in the appropriate role that we were meant to operate in, and that's basically be there for policyholders when the market's not there for them, but you don't have to do it at a rate that's significantly below the market. That's not the intent. Now, the issue is that I think Adam is going to be facing with some Depop carriers, and I know we are, um, and, and that is you've got to have people in a position, a financial position to quote. So no matter where the citizen's rate is, you know, you've got to have competition. And I think the one-way statute and the uh, AOB, et cetera, ultimately will put those private companies in a position where they're profitable enough to want to commit more capacity to the market. And, and I think that is really going to be an advantage um, to the individuals talking to Adam, the individuals talking to us that want to c- commit capital uh, through the depopulation program. It's great news. Very wonderful explanation. A couple more thoughts. One is we heard in the House and Senate debate that this bill would take away a consumer's right to sue an insurance company. It it is creating a, a more unlevel, a worsening unlevel playing field. And Barry, I'd love you to respond to that. I spoke to several members of the media who also listen to this podcast that I think last count there were 108,000 lawyers and someone can still sign a contingency fee agreement. Was I right um, in, in making those uh, those comments? Barry, I know you've got a, a bevy of lawyers. Um, a consumer can still sue an insurance company, correct, Barry? Absolutely. And I think the advantage is we reinstated the offer of judgment statute. So under the offer of judgment statute, any time either party during this, this suit process, either, either party can make an offer. And the advantage that we now have, of course, in the offer of judgment, the change in the offer of judgment, a proposal for settlement or offer of judgment statute, is that previously you had to get a sign-off from all members. And over 50% of all suits have two plaintiffs or more. So the offer of judgment basically says if you make an offer, and someone accepts that offer, and and you reject the offer, then the suit does not move forward. So uh, I I think there's there's a real advantage to this, but there's nothing here stopping a first party from bringing suit against an insurance company. And I think the proposal for settlement process that's been reinstated during this legislation and makes it you know clearly um, advantageous to move the. Uh, suits through the process much quicker. Uh, I will also say the advantage that we have is it introduces uh, optional arbitration. And uh, as you know, that, I believe, will be a huge advantage. Uh, you know, that, that could reduce the average length of suit from 750 days down to, you know, uh, 310, 320. It'll cut the length of the suit process, you know, in half. And it will eliminate the suit process if they accept the, the arbitration language in the policy. And so far, the one company that has been very successful in introducing the optional language, um, my understanding is they're reducing rates by 20%. So if you accept that you will accept uh, binding arbitration when you sign up for their policy, 
you, you know, you're getting a 20% rate reduction and you're getting a, a process whereby you can bring suits to closure or potential suits to closure much, much quicker. So I don't think you're taking a lot away from the, um, from the policyholders. I know that from a citizen standpoint, our average litigated payment is $77,000. And the attorney fees associated with that payment are $39,000. So I'm paying 20,000 outstanding suits and I'm paying, you know, over a thousand attorneys to defend suits that are brought because there's an automatic payment you know, uh, as a result of the suits under the one-way statute. Now, you have to admit that is going to make a profound change mm-hmm. in uh, an attorney brings a suit or not. I think you hit all the right, you know, areas that we should remind even our agents. And, Andy, I'll kick it over to you because I know y'all are getting the calls. Your agents are getting the calls about rate increases and this gives, I want to say, hope. It gives clarity as to where things are going to go in the future. Rates may go up more, but they're going to come. We hopefully will see them ameliorating, or at least rate increases won't be severe. Andy, do you believe that this this new provision for people to buy a policy that says, I'm not really in the mood to sue my insurance company if I have a dispute, and I opt to go to arbitration, will sell um, Andy, or do you think people want to continue to have a policy where they can sue their insurance companies? What's the mood of the consumer out there about this? You know, it's really interesting. So I was actually on a call with an insured. I think her rates went up. They doubled, I think, and she was in their Orlando area. Um, and this is all from memory. And her whole point was, I don't want to sue my insurance company. How do I get my rates down? Like she was basically saying, I, you know, I'm not one of these people that's getting a new roof or taking advantage of the system. I just, I want to do the right thing. And even though I want to do the right thing, I feel like I'm getting penalized. So it's really, it's really important for our, for our agents and all the agents in Florida to educate insureds around this, right? The preponderance of people in the state of Florida are not out there trying to take advantage of their insurance companies, right? There are some bad actors. There's no doubt about it. The data suggests it, suggests it and, and verifies it. But majority of the, of the people that I deal with on a day-to-day basis, customers that we insure, they're not looking to take advantage of carriers. So anything that they can do to be taken care of by carriers and have a chance to lower their rates, they're, they're going to be standing up for it for sure. I have no doubt. I have faith in, I have faith in the customers and I have faith of the population of Florida that that they just want this problem fixed. Mm-hmm. One of the issues has been, and Barry's done a great job of articulating it, but there hasn't been a, a real great articulation of the overall problem, right? And, and Barry bifurcates it really well between kind of severity or the cost of insurance that's driven by AOB and one way to attorney's fees and all that, and the lack of capital in the market because of all of that, and really driven by a citizen's rate level, right? Who's going to come in and try to try to compete with a government entity, why would you commit capital to that? And, you know, Florida has solved both of those, right? And being able to talk to consumers about that is really, really important. And that's how this market's going to change, right? It's going to be setting expectations, right? And and Barry, again, articulated it really well. This market's not going to shift on a dime, right? This is not 
It's not a little speedboat here we can just turn. This is a this is a big aircraft carrier. It's going to take a little bit to get there, but we're going to get there. Right? And setting those expectations that in, that I'm I'm really focused on our agents telling the customers that yes, this legislation is passed. Your rate's not going to go down, you know, 50% next year, right? It's probably still going to go up with your existing company because of all of the the history which is really driving the price, right? And 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 I'm hopeful that these new carriers can come in at a competitive rate level because they don't have the baggage in, of the past and we can have a vibrant market because that's good for it's good for the customer and it's good for us from a distribution standpoint as well. Thank you for that, Andy. To round out this show, this session of this show, I want to talk about the reinsurance component in the bill, the um, FORA program. I'll let Adam talk more about it, but my understanding and my reading of it is that it was designed to try and shore up companies that are going to be buying reinsurance in 2023 and give them a mechanism to combat what could be rate shock when they go into the reinsurance marketplace, the private marketplace. Adam, can you talk to us about what the bill did and maybe what it doesn't do? Maybe it doesn't go far enough, whatever your perspective is, so that our our listeners can understand and certainly educate them on the fact that if we don't have reinsurance, we don't have a primary insurance market. Adam? Sure, Lisa. Um, so to, to your first question, right, the, there was the component within the legislation which establishes what's known as the FORA uh, layers, F-O-R-A layers. Um, there's, there's four components to that reinsurance offering. Really what, what it's meant to do is replace, you know, some of what the state provided earlier this year in the form of uh, what was a wrap layer, RAP uh, layer. I, I think the jury, to a certain extent, is is very much out on how effective this reinsurance offering is going to be from the state. I, I think everybody appreciates the fact that the legislation was looking to provide capacity to the to the insurance companies in the form of this reinsurance offering. Um, but there are there are some uh, companies I think that are trying to determine if the if if there's true value in what's being offered, you know, the, the capacity being provided relative to the price. Um, and and there, there needs to be some analysis done on that. But, you know, largely, I, I think there was an appreciation for the fact that the state was willing to do something, possibly a little bit of disappointment in, in what was uh, provided. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think all of the, the positives of the bill vastly outweigh, you know, any potential disappointment that's there on this reinsurance offering. You know, to, you, to your second question, why why is the reinsurance offering important? I, I think the one thing that I want to make sure that I mentioned for your listeners here, just, just so they have it in the back of their head, is the, the true purpose of reinsurance and why it's valuable to the policyholders. And that is the transfer of risk away from the state of Florida and the policyholders within the state of Florida. Um, you know, without reinsurance, the state of Florida would have a tremendous bill on our hands uh, in, in following, you know, any major hurricane. Um, hurricane Ian, most recently, Nicole was was much smaller, um, but going back to Hurricane Irma, um, and you know, go back in history to all the way back to Hurricane Andrew. These were absolutely massive insured losses, where without reinsurance to uh, for insurance companies to transfer this risk to. Um, the state of Florida would have been economically decimated. So for the policyholders in this state, reinsurance is massively important because it is a way for the insurance companies to transfer risk away from the state of Florida and into the hands of 
reinsurance companies, which were set up to take that risk. And, and without that, that's where things become truly scary, right? I mean, I think we've all, as policyholders in the state, dealt with uh, some level of assessment uh, within our policies. Um, if you look down at the bottom of a policy, you will oftentimes see some form of assessment coming through your policy, and, and that's for the policyholders of Florida to pay. And that can come in many forms. Um, we'll, we'll see that from FIGA in instances where companies fail, uh, but there's also the potential for citizens to assess and for uh, the FHCF to assess. And as it stands right now, we haven't truly had to deal with you know a massive assessment risk on the state of Florida, but that's largely because of reinsurance. And if that reinsurance capacity isn't there and there is a large loss, I think the, the policyholders within this state would be absolutely terrified by where their rates would be headed, uh, both uh, from, a, from an assessment perspective and, and what the insurance companies would need to charge for that risk for them to retain it. And Adam, speak to the worldwide nature of reinsurance. This isn't just about Florida reinsurance, right? Uh, absolutely. So so the, the, the reinsurance marketplace is, is global in nature, and it really has to be because the, the reinsurers are taking risk from Europe. They're taking risk from uh, they're taking earthquake risk in in Japan. They're taking uh, earthquake risk and and tsunami risk in uh, in Australia. They're taking earthquake and wildfire risk from California. And th- and they're building portfolios so that really the the feeling is that you're not going to have you know this doomsday scenario where uh, there's earthquakes and and typhoons and hurricanes all hitting at the same time. So they're able to construct a global portfolio where they can take risk from different geographies and be able to withstand losses in different geographies because they're collecting reinsurance premium globally. So it's a a way for individual states or individual geographies to spread their risk globally. And at the end of the day, the reinsurance community is able to you know, hopefully price for um, and and whether any loss scenarios that happen in the course of a year and still be able to also make a reasonable operating profit uh, for them to be able to continue to stay in business. Very well done, Adam. And Andy, I'm going to let you kind of bring us in for a landing. You kind of uh, you know, with uh, Barry being in the residual market world, having all of his experience in the private world, Adam being on the reinsurance side, you are kind of the hybrid between the two, having the reinsurance investment and where the rubber meets the road with your agents. Kind of give us your perspective from an overall big picture, what it is you plan to be doing over the next six to 12 months in terms of services or ideas or innovations so that we can all um, maybe revisit again in, say, six months and see where we are. Andy? Yeah. So so first thing, you know, really appreciate Adam's comments. I think, you know, furthering on that, the, the reinsurance market and the problems in it are not just a Florida issue, right? So we're we're hearing from our carriers that are national carriers that are placing one-one programs that they're seeing their retentions double. Uh, the prices for their programs are going up 50%. So that's the issue is not a Florida-only thing. The volatility of weather has increased. Uh, the risk-free return on capital has gone up significantly. So being able to commit capital, right? You need a bigger return now than you did just over a year ago. So. It's going six ones for the Florida domestics are going to be difficult. What we're trying to do is just make sure that we can assist in a couple ways through. So one of the things I, I think that we're trying to partner with a lot of the new carriers coming in to make sure that we can do 
what we can to help them get the best book of business. So when they're going through a takeout, we're making sure our agents are being proactive and educating customers on, on the opportunity to encourage them to, to enter into the private market if they can. And we're building technology that we ensure to help carriers stay profitable. Right? So we're trying to help our agents direct the right risks to the right companies. So no one's getting, you know, if they, you know, if they don't want to write red houses that we're not even asking a carrier to write a red house. Right. And, and obviously that's a silly example, but we're trying to get that basic so that we can match the right risk to the right capital base. So we ensure can contribute given our size and our scale to stabilizing this market in time. Right? It's not going to be overnight. There's work to do. Uh, but we're committed from a distribution side and an investment side to make sure that that Florida stabilizes and is a, a vibrant market going forward with a competitive mar- market as well. Thank you for that, Andy. A great ending to a great podcast show. And I want to thank each and every one of you. Barry, again, it's been a privilege and will continue to be a privilege to work beside you. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Lisa. Appreciate it. Very welcome. And, and Adam, I'm, I'm sure I'll see you um, on the trail, on the reinsurance trail, and I appreciate your great commentary. Absolutely, Lisa. Always a pleasure. And Andy, again, thank you for that great closing, and um, we wish you well as your agents are the boots on the ground. Thanks so much. Thank you, Lisa. Always a pleasure to, to talk with you. Certainly. And for those of you in the audience, we'll have links to the various reports and discussions that we talked about today. A summary of our conversation will be out there for you, and obviously we take the notes so you don't have to. And we want you to like this podcast and share it with your colleagues and friends. Our podcasts have grown over the years, the past five years, into the thousands of listeners. Very, very large audience across the country and even around the world that listen to this podcast. We appreciate the great support, and we want to hear what you think. We want to hear from you. You can call 850-388-8002, 850-388-8002, and leave us commentary on air, or send me an email, Lisa Miller at lisamillerassociates.com. That's Lisa Miller, all one word, at lisamillerassociates.com. That's it for this Florida Insurance Roundup. It's a wrap. It's going to be a new year in just a few days, and we look forward to hearing and working with each one of you. If you have ideas for podcasts or guests that you would like us to invite on the show or perhaps want to be a guest, certainly reach out to us. We are definitely all in this together, consumers, agents, insurance companies, investors, reinsurers, legislators, realtors, contractors, and the list goes on. And this should be a collaboration and get away from the nasty litigation and the adversarial relationships that we've seen over the past few years that we can restore this market so it'll be vibrant for our consumers and very competitive. So with that, remember that here at Lisa Miller Associates, we have a passion for policy and client success. We love working with you and appreciate your unyielding support over the past many years and look forward to much more. Thank you. Until next time, stay safe. This has been Lisa Miller and Associates Florida Insurance Roundup, your podcast on the people, issues, and regulations shaping Florida's insurance market. For more information on today's program, please visit us on the web at www.lisamillerassociates.com.